Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Ren Astor. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 141. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm very well, very well. Enjoying the uh, post-apocalyptic... Oh, I can't even talk now. I'm enjoying the post... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, <laughs> let, me, let me rephrase that. I'm enjoying us having a, uh, a month's worth of rain in about six hours at the moment, which is all good. Oh, that's fair. I mean, uh, judging from the tan you have right now, as, as I'm watching you on my screen, you've been getting enough summer weather that this compensates. Uh, it'll do for the time being, yes. You, you have, he really, folks, I cannot tell you enough. He has a very impressive tan. Glowing. I'm literally hiding in the dark of my office. I'm in my undershirt. It is warm. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure if Paul could be recording this outside on a patio, he would be. Very much so, yes. And, and once again, shows the benefits of regular moisturization. <laughs> Yeah, and that's why I look like an old boot. <laughs> and I just look like a soft boot. It is. It's a very lovely boot. Some kind of <laughs> some kind of endangered animal, no doubt, went into making that boot. <laughs> well, this episode, this is a get ahead. We are we are recording this in advance because I'm going to be in Los Angeles, I believe, by the time this drops, or very close to when this drops. And so episodes 141 and 142 are going to be recorded well in advance. So we are, uh, if, if, uh, if at some point on the, the episode that came before this, you hear certain stories repeated, that's because we are recording them out of order and we are both very handsome, but God does not give with both hands. And so organization <laughs> sometimes fails us. I'm just kidding. Paul's very the, organized. I'm not. 
But if this is in the future, are we already in the past? Not high enough for this, Paul. I am. Not, <laughs> I did not have the weekend you had, so <laughs> I don't think many people did. But you had a lovely, relaxing weekend full of uh, cola bottle candy and good friends. And good friends. I had a weekend full of getting my ass kicked by the YouTube algorithm mm. because. Uh, as I've mentioned before on the show, one of the side things I've started doing, you know, because I don't have enough open fucking projects, is a bi-weekly web stream with, um, or live stream with Joseph Camo. Uh, we do a show called Weird Together. It's a live show where we talk about a different horror movie every two mm -hmm. weeks on the Ghost Story Guys YouTube channel. And it started out as a way to try and boost engagement with our, with our YouTube channel because it had just been kind of left fallow for a long time. And what I started doing is, you know, at the top of the stream, I make a little trailer, usually about three minutes long, which kind of explains the movie for people who are tuning in who might not have had a chance to watch it before we talk about it. Mm. And as you saw with Movie Nightish, if you give me access to a bunch of clips and sound and you kind of let me do my own thing, it, it becomes increasingly unhinged. <laughs> and so it went from, you know, the seller, which was just a simple explainer with a couple of goofy title cards in it to Mad God. And now Mad God itself, it's a great movie. It's stop motion. It's nuts. You know, Paul and I have talked about it. Uh, it's on Shutter. It's worth your time. But when it came time to make the trailer, I had literally four hours before the live stream started and hadn't done anything. <laughs> and so, and because I was, I was doing other things. So I had to come up with something very, very quickly. And I'm actually very happy with what I came up with. I think it's pretty clever, uh, but it really just serves, it just sets the stage for people watching the live stream. We also make them available as separate videos, you know, just to kind of pick up the extra SEO. But th its main function is to sort of show people before, yeah, at the beginning of the live stream what we're going to be talking about. Well, Mad God right now is the movie everyone is looking for because it's, you know, it was 30 years in the making. Mm. It was directed by the guy who did special effects for Jurassic Park and Robocop and Starship Troopers. So people, and it's got a very fractured narrative, very like you kind of have to think about it. So people were looking for explainer videos. And they came upon my trailer for it, which explains nothing, but involves, <laughs> you know, me doing a Tom Waits voice and pretending to like basically pretending to be Tom Waits as a douchebag genie. <laughs> and I'll put a link in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. But what happened is the algorithm started grabbing it, you know, because the way YouTube works, you know, sometimes your stuff gets picked up by the algorithm. Most often it doesn't. But every mm. now and again, you kind of catch a wave if you've got just the right content. Well, we had the right content to catch the wave, but it was not what people were looking for. And so people started beating the shit out of my video with a lead pipe saying, this doesn't tell us anything about the movie. And it was never supposed to tell them anything about the movie. It was meant to be a little joke about the movie for people who watch the live stream. And because I thought no one ever watches these fucking things after I, the live stream. Who cares? Well, it turns out the people who watch Mad God care. And so they spent the weekend curb stomping my video. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Cause we were thinking, Oh, it'd be nice if the algorithm picked up one of these videos. Oh, you think so? Eh? You think mm. so? Well, prepare Uranus. Cause we're all shining up our boots. It <laughs> <laughs> is strange. How it sometimes works like that. I had, I had a, an episode from about three months ago that, 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 that did loads of views over the weekend for some reason. Really? Mm. My, uh, my chat with Zelia Edgar. Oh, okay. Well, that's a great episode. I can understand why. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I'm people are like, you know, man, we've really exhausted ourselves beating the shit out of this stupid uh, explainer video. <laughs> this Bestel guy seems to know what's going on. <laughs> uh, again, folks, I'm going to put a link to that episode as well in the show notes, because that conversation with Zelia Edgar is really good. Zelia is a really interesting researcher. We're mm -hmm. one of her Patreon supporters, a very big fan of what Zelia does. 
All right. So as we said, or did we say, I don't think we did say on this episode, we're going to be revisiting a script from a, a past show. And this is something I've been wanting to do for a while. We, we polled our patrons. We said, which are your favorite shows, which you would like to hear us revisit? You know, these are shows from the beginning of ghost story guys to present. And we had two winners. The first was what will be episode 142 that will be coming next uh, in two weeks. That is Ghost in the Machine, uh, which I think is still our most frightening episode just in terms of some of the story content. And tonight's episode, which is Death on the Road. Death on the Road was originally episode 32. And so now I have gone through, I've touched up the script, we've kind of played with the format some, and... So Paul and I are going to be revisiting the stories from episode 32, Death on the Road. And, you know, it's going to be fascinating for me to see, because obviously I read these once before, but uh, one, I'm a better writer now, and holy shit, some of them were really badly written. And two, it just with six years worth of experience under the belt to talking about this stuff, kind of curious to see what sort of similarities and parallels we find, which maybe we, we hadn't seen coming. But Yeah, you've got a lot more experience and obviously a bit more, well, that sounds a bit... A bit rude. That's a that's a uh, got a backhanded compliment, as they say over here. You've got a bit more. You've got more experience and more knowledge of the subject. So uh, it's it's amazing when you look back at things and you think, oh well, it's episode thirty two, and you think, well, yeah, that's four years ago now. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So no, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but but before we get there, of course, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons. Won't you come with us and take our hand? Won't you come with us and walk this land? That's Inagata Davida. I was thinking on my feet. I have Barry White lyrics stuck in my head, so please forgive me, patrons. This is the best I could do. Beautiful. Thank you. Now, of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, and ordinarily this would be where we thank the new patrons, but because this is a future episode, we're not going to have... We don't, we don't have those names. So uh, if you have signed up since episode 140... Please know that we will thank you on episode 143. Once I'm back from Los Angeles, we will have a, a brand new episode. We'll have everyone's names who've signed up. We'll have a fresh Ghost Force shout out, all that good stuff. But for now, we just want to say thank you to everyone who's a patron. You know, you guys, you guys make all this possible. You guys make it possible for me to pay the bills, to send a little bit of money to Luke and to Paul and, you know, to everyone else who kind of helps us when we have cash to give. And uh, it's just a... Uh, it's a joy and a pleasure and an honor. And, and so we just want to both say thank you from the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts. And if you'd like to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We'll tell you at the end of the show about all the cool shit you get, but we will say for a dollar a month, you get an ad free feed. And who doesn't want that? Ads suck. So again, that's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. All right. One final shout out. Music for this program is composed by Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is the project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. Jerry is based out of Southern California. And if you would like to hire Rainy Days for Ghosts to make music for your podcasts, Jerry does take commissions. Find him on Twitter at Jerry is just okay, or by emailing Rainy Days for Ghosts at gmail.com. All right. Now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with stories of death on the road. Welcome back. As we said before the break, on this episode, we're going to be revisiting the script for Death on the Road. Well, a revised version. 
of episode 32, Death on the Road. Going to have a look at some, some terrifying tales of life on the highway. And I have a, a highway-specific question for you, Paul. But before we get there, you mentioned off-air that it is an auspicious occasion today. And it, it won't be for anyone who's listening to this, because they'll be listening to it two and a half weeks hence. But what is today's auspicious occasion? Yes. So today is a very special day for anybody that loves the weird and the wonderful and the mysterious things that occasionally happen on this planet. Because today, in 1908, something extraordinary happened above the skies of Tunguska in Russia. Yes. And for our listeners who don't know, can you explain the Tunguska incident? So, something exploded in the skies above the region in Tunguska in Russia. Um, and whilst there were stories about something strange happening, nobody went there for 13 years. And when they got there, it still looked like somebody dropped a megaton bomb on the area because all the trees were flattened and scorched and everything. Um, and the only sort of place, I'm trying to think how many miles, it was quite a considerable distance of this explosive shockwave that had land hit that um, the direct at hit point, all the trees were stood up and everything else, they were just scattered like skittles. Um, I've actually just put some pictures on um, on the Instagram that were taken when the first explorer went there in 1921. So those pictures are from 13 years afterwards and it looks like it's just happened. Holy shit. Why did it take 13 years? That seems crazy considering if, I mean, were they aware that there had been an event of this magnitude? They were aware something had happened. I mean, it, it, it was widely reported at the time, but you've got to remember this is Siberia at the turn of the 20th century. It's thousands of miles from anywhere. So it oh, took, a, you know, basically you've got like, I think you've got like a four or five month window to get there and right. get back. And if you don't, you're dead. So, <laughs> and half the time, because it's permafrost and tundra, in the summer it turns into like a boggy swamp. So it's like really hard to get through. And then oh, obviously okay. it turns into, into freezing winter because the, the, the temperature extremes in that region are, are crazy. So right. at the time when it happened, it was widely reported. Um, I mean, in London, we had three, three consecutive days where there was no night. Holy shit. Because the light was, was every, it just gave off such an illuminescence in the area and it was seen for thousands of miles. So it's, it was a crazy event, but it just literally, they had to wait. Um, and it's caused numerous scientists and conspiracy theories to put forward all kinds of theories, though the general consensus now is that it was a very rare, I think they're called airshot meteors where they explode above the ground. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Because there's no evidence anything hit. There's no yep. crater, Just but there's an impact yeah. zone. And they've never found, as far as I'm aware, they've yet to find any evidence, though obviously Stalin had an expedition go there in 1949, and people claim that things were discovered that have uh, been squirreled away. Of course, yeah. So yeah, they still argue about it. That's fascinating. I, I knew that the explosion, I thought it had sort of just been like accepted that it was a meteor impact, but obviously I didn't realize there was no crater. No, there's no crater. They've never found any fragments of anything. Bizarre. Yeah. I mean, if that had landed, there would, we'd all know what that crater was. Cause it probably no land, kidding, yeah. Probably go to Finland, because they reckon it was about 12 megatons, which is 12,000 tons oh, of dynamite. shit. That, that went off. 
weirdly, thinking about the meteor that explodes before it hits, hits the ground, that actually happened to Revelstoke in 1965. Mm-hmm. And I, I just pulled up an article, and um, it's basically, uh, yeah, windows rattled and doors shook last night as residents wondered about all the commotion. Mm-hmm. Um, one woman rushing to the door to see what was up as the rumblings continued felt the doorknob rattle in her hands. Those who looked outside saw brilliant flashes of light all over the sky. The thunder-like bangs lasted fully 10 minutes. And um, it was a, a meteor exploded just north of Revelstoke. Mm-hmm. And they found a couple pieces, and it's, I think it's called carbonaceous chondrite. Yeah. It's the kind of rock that they believe could potentially harbor extraterrestrial life. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've, they've actually, I think they've got a piece of this at the Revelstoke Museum. But um, it was a hell of a show. And I, as I say, it didn't, I don't believe it impacted. I think it exploded before it ever, uh, before it ever hit the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, pieces of meteors trade for thousands. Really? Oh yeah, oh yeah, big time. You can make some serious money with meteor fragments. So what you're saying is we need to start a small business as meteor hunters. There are people who are professional meteor hunters who will dush dash out wherever they can and sell the bit. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can talk thousands. You can make a comfortable if you're if you. I mean, obviously, we're talking about very rare events. Right. Unless you can fly all over the world. But um, you can make some substantial amounts of cash through trading meteor fragments to the right people. There's a a big black market. I'll be damned. I'm not surprised that you know this, but I did not realize (laughs) that this this market exists. That's fucking crazy. Big business. It's one of those, um, well, they're, they're fabulous things. You know, you've got to remember until about 250 years ago, nobody believed anything fell from the sky. God, we're dumb. As just as a people, we're dumb, Paul. You know, you, yeah, you and I were yeah. talking off air about these guys who think that, who said in like 1890 something that everything that can't be invented has been invented. And what an absolute dong he must feel like, you know, looking down or looking up, I guess, from, uh, you know, whatever hell awaits people who died back then. Yeah. He probably invested all in on Betamax. <laughs> and HD DVD. <laughs> Laser disc. <laughs> All right, so from fire in the sky, sorry, Travis Walton, we're now going to more terrestrial concerns with death on the road. Now, Paul, I got to ask, have you ever had something strange? I mean, I assume this is you. I I can't imagine there's a no at the end of this question, but tell me about something strange that has happened to you on the road. I mean, preferably while in the car, but doesn't have to be in the car. Oh, um, I mean, you told us a fabulous car related story on the last episode, but we're not going to make you relive that. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, I suppose one of the strangest things that's ever happened to me whilst being in a car was we were once driving on the M1 on our way to London at four in the morning, and we were following a car in that was about 200 yards in front of us, and there was literally nobody else around us. We were just trundling along. And then the, all these roadworks were down the left-hand side of the of the of the lanes and this car in front of us just seemed to deliberately drive into them <laughs> oh god and there was like hundreds and hundreds of cones so we're watching this car 200 yards ahead of us just barreling through all this roadworks and all these cones started flying down the road to us and they got the little lamps on the lamps were bouncing off the road so we were like what on earth is going on here and he was Whoever was driving the car was clearly in control of the car. They hadn't fallen asleep or anything because they weren't veering off, right. off the, the embankment. They clearly seemed to make a, a conscious decision 
to smash the hell out of all these roadworks for some reason. And then after about a minute of knocking all these cones and lights and everything everywhere, they went back into the fast lane and just shot off. And we were like, what? And obviously, whilst all this was happening, we were avoiding coin, coins. We were avoiding all these cones bouncing down sure. the road to us. But at one bit, my friend had to accelerate because uh, one of the big flashing lights that goes on top of them sometimes just yeah. came bouncing down the road and it was going to hit at the windscreen. So he had to speed up so it hit the underside of the car. And we Holy just did the shit. Like that. We must have been doing 60 or 70 miles an hour to get over this before it hit us. And then after that, we were just trying to avoid all these cones. It was absolutely balmy. It's one of the strangest things I've ever seen. It's almost like he, he just, you know, we all have that call of the void telling us to do dumb shit. I wonder if that's what happened to this guy. He just had that call of the void and he's like, well, I'm here. And the brain says we drive through the cones. Yeah. Very, I mean, like I say, it, it was just one of those things because it was just so strange as to make no sense because whatever, whatever the reasons were, he would have clearly done quite a considerable amount of damage because regardless of the fact he's hit plastic cones, still driving through hundreds of them over yeah, and over it. and over. So it, it was just really odd. Well, my, mine is, um, Mine is a tale of, of technological folly. <laughs> I was, uh, of course, I, you know, I, I practically grew up in a video store, which will surprise no one. My uncle managed the local video store for 30 some years. And so I would even, you know, after I came back to town or after I moved, I would come back to town and I would still go in the video store and shoot the breeze over the counter. That was just a thing you did, right? That was like social club. We used to have impromptu family reunions in the parking lot because we would all end up visiting at the same time. So just a bunch of little Italians out there smoking and laughing and saying unprintable things. But um, anyways, so one day I'm, I'm sitting, standing there in, my, in the uh, video store, shooting the breeze with my uncle over the counter, and all of a sudden we hear this crash. Now, there is the video store, there is a road, it's on a corner, so, and it's on a corner of a very busy road, Victoria Road, and, which is sort of like the main artery in town, and then that is directly in front of us, and then to our left is Campbell Street. So coming up Campbell, we hear this crash, crash, crash. And now finally we look out the side window and a Toyota RAV4 is ramming, systematically ramming into every single vehicle parked along Campbell Road because Campbell has <laughs> angle parking. So it's just smashing each one of these vehicles in the, in the backside. We're thinking, what the fuck is happening? Then the, it, it, it clips the last vehicle. That seems to straighten out its trajectory. It zooms across Victoria Road. Now, Victoria Road, on the other side of it, there's, a, there's an, like a slight embankment, and then there's the railroad tracks. Mm. This thing hits the slight embankment, goes airborne. I remember seeing the underside of the axles, and crashes down on the train tracks, and that's what it finally is disabled. And thankfully, some people came, and there was an, there was an older woman. They pulled her out of the car, and you know, they managed to clear her off the tracks before there was any kind of trouble with the trains. But I guess mm. what happened was, you remember that, that issue a few years back with Toyotas where the gas pedals were sticking. Mm. That's what happened. <laughs> the, pe the pedal in her RAV4 stuck. And I, I don't know if some, some people said it was because the mats were bunching up underneath it, whatever mm. the reason. She lost control of this thing. It started accelerating just again, uncontrollably. And she, she had no control over steering. She had no control over anything. So mm. what we saw was just this thing like literally ramming into solid surfaces until it's straightened out enough 
that it could drive across the street. Again, get some pretty impressive air for a RAV4. Toyota owners out there, you know, if you're looking for a good time, those things can get some air. Don't actually do that. I'm kidding. And uh, yeah, came down hard. So that was probably my, that was, that was one of them. I, I think I've probably got other stories of people mm-hmm. doing dumb, dumb things on the road, but that's probably yeah. my, my top one off the top yeah. of my head. Well, now that we've got our own weirdness out of the way, time for the stories. Rollover. This happened to my mother, and has become one of those stories that stays in the family to be trotted out from time to time. It happened before I was born, when my mother was left on her own with two little girls to support. She worked as a waitress. Now, how or where she met Bill, I don't know. He was a truck driver, and the restaurant where she worked was in downtown Philadelphia, so you wouldn't think they'd run into each other, but they did. They fell in love, and they planned a life together. Bill was a long-distance trucker, and he and Mom decided to move to Florida, but before they could go, he had to finish out the end of his contract with the one company. Well, he'd given my mother the number to a truck stop somewhere in western North Carolina, one where he usually paused after crossing the Smokies from Tennessee, and she would check in on him there when he stopped. The night before he was due to arrive there, Mom had a dream of a place she'd never been, and would never see in her lifetime. It was a mountainous area, and she saw a rig coming over from the other side. Something went very wrong, though, and it overturned, rolling three times. Mom was never one to put much stock in anything that smacked of the psychic, but she mentioned it to her mother before she left for work at the restaurant. Around noon, she called the truck stop. She'd done this often enough in the past that the men who worked there knew who she was. In true Southern fashion, they always called her Miss Dolly. Her name was Dolores. Well, she placed the call and asked if Bill had come in yet. She was greeted with silence, then the man who'd taken the call said, Hold on a minute, Miss Dolly. I'll go get Zip, the owner, right away. I think Mom knew what was coming. When Zip got on the line, he told her there had been an accident. Bill had fallen asleep as he was crossing into North Carolina from Tennessee. The rig rolled three times. Mom went on with her life, of course, though I don't think she ever really forgot Bill. I know she never forgot the dream that had been, sadly, all too true. Paul, I think that might have been the weepiest story we've had on this show in a very long time that didn't involve like a visit from grandma after they've passed. Yeah. Those stories always strike a chord with me. Premonitions or people that have dreams about loved ones or something, and then obviously something awful's happened to them. Because there's so many of them as well. And they're one of those phenomenon that people go, oh, it's just people misremembering things or wishful thinking. But often they're so striking to people that... They stick with them, and then, unfortunately, the the worst comes true. Yeah, yeah. I I know Nikki has had sort of minor versions of this. Um, She, a couple times, has has dreamed about someone, say, she works with or a friend. Uh, The one I can think of in particular, she she ran into a friend on the steps of the courthouse in the dream, and she bumped into the friend, and the friend dropped a bunch of papers. So Nick was Hmm. helping her pick up the papers, and on the paper, there was something to do with... uh, some kind of real estate thing. And it was, the woman was very, very stressed about it. Now, Nick, Nick had not spoken to this woman in a long time, but she thought, you know what? I'm going to give her a call to see how she's doing. And sure enough, she was actually struggling with, I want to say like a, a, a title transfer 
or something like that. Some kind of real estate thing that, you know, like she inherited a house, but it actually was turning out to be a real nightmare. She was trying to figure out what she was going to do with it. But it was, it was not that far off from what Nick had dreamed the night before. Mm. Yeah. I don't have those dreams and I'm glad because I don't want to know what the future holds. It scares the shit out of me. Yeah. I just have really odd dreams now. <laughs> well, you, you're still catching up on years of dreaming. Yeah. Yes. I had one the other day about uh, arranging Holly Johnson to come to my house for Christmas dinner for some reason. And he was quite happy to do so. Now, Holly Johnson, to me, sounds like the name of a Christmas-themed porn performer. I assume that is not who it is in this case. <laughs> Holly Johnson is the legendary lead singer of Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Okay, there we go. Yep. I'm glad, because that has replaced the image I had in my head, which uh, wasn't great. It involved <laughs> the placement of a wreath. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. <laughs> and obviously, my uh, uh, the, the first group I fell in love with as a teenager. I mean, Paul, if you told me that Holly Johnson did end up coming over to your house for Thanksgiving... I would believe it. I just, yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, didn't you, you had a friend who, uh, didn't they, they had tea with Richie Blackmore? No, my, my, uh, I had tea with Richie Blackmore. Oh, you had tea with Richie Blackmore. One of my school friends, it was his uncle and he turned up in his chauffeur driven Bentley dressed like a wizard. <laughs> That's amazing. Kids uh, nice. Google Richie Blackmore. Was he very nice? He was very nice. Yeah. There we go. For a wizard. Do you never know what to expect with wizards? Well, having heard him play the guitar, he's, he's clearly magic. Absolutely. No argument here. And yeah, kids, look up Richie Blackmore. <laughs> yes. And if you can find some of the amazing rock and roll stories about Richie Blackmore, even more fun. Yes. There, there you go. Especially the sacking Dio story. Oh, of course. Which, I, I mean, imagine having the chutzpah to fire Dio. Yeah. During a gig. During a gig. Yeah. Have you heard this story? I have not. Folks, we're, we're, you're the rock and roll guys now. Yeah, woo! So uh, Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull tells this story that he was once at a festival somewhere in America, and they were doing a, they were doing a, a I think they were supporting Rainbow, I think, yeah, it would have been Rainbow. Yeah. And uh, so Blackmore came over to Anderson, because they're both very tall men, aren't they, and said, oh, what do you, what do you think to the new lead singer? So... Ian Anderson was a bit stoned. So for a joke, he said, yeah, he's really good, but he's too short, isn't he? I think he's too short. So he went, do you? Do you think he's too short? And he went, yeah, yeah. He went, okay. And then about two hours later, Ian Anderson's in the bar having a drink and Dio comes out really upset and angry. He says, Richie Blackmore sacked me. And he says, I'm too short to be a singer. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And Ian's like, oh, what a bastard. I'll go and have a word with him for you. <laughs> and eventually I had to talk Blackmore into taking him back and just, you know, blamed it on being drunk and stuff. But uh, yeah, Anderson, Anderson caused it and then had to fix it. <laughs> That's incredible. Is there such a thing as too small to be a singer? I mean, I saw John Anderson from Yes uh, performing at a solo show once, and that guy is literally pocket size. Like he's, he's like the borrowers. I, I just did. That seems like, uh, I, don't, I don't know that there is necessarily a restriction on such things. Yeah. It's one of those things. And I don't think it matters these days, does it? But you know, back in those days, I'm sure some people would, would view being uh, height challenged as, as something as, as, as uncool, but yeah, it was quite one of those things. I think. Yeah. He was Steve Perry. That guy could belt it out and he's five, seven. I mean, uh, anyways, this, mm-hmm. uh, this became a, an, an unexpected detour into rock and roll history audience. <laughs> 
Yes, and the less said about Rainbow's performance in Sheffield that caused another lead singer to be sacked it will be safe for a, a different audience. Google that shit, folks. Yes. What we're going to do for this episode is we had some stories in the script that were uh, worth telling, but not long enough that we thought there's going to be much to comment on. So for a couple of these, we're going to have just short stories with no commentary, and then we will have a proper story with Paul and me chatting about it after those. So coming up next are two shorts, followed by a full-length story. Always lock your doors. Many years ago, I was on a shift called Meet and Turn. This is where the driver that is domiciled out of the city will drive a load halfway to its destination, while the other driver that meets him halfway and brings the load to where it needs to be delivered. I'd been doing runs like these for several months, and I consistently found myself getting on point an hour before the other driver. On one run, I found myself waiting in the dark, empty lot around 3am, and since there was some time to kill, I decided to close my eyes and take a short nap. About ten minutes into my nap, I was awakened by a barking dog. I tried to ignore it, but the bark carried on for several minutes, and it grew louder and closer. At this point, it became clear that either he's trying to alert me to something, or he's just being a pain in the butt. So I sat up and looked out of my window, and what I saw left me motionless. Standing there, inches on the other side of the glass, was a large man around 35 years of age, and he was barking at me. His eyes were crazy, and he was even frothing a little from his mouth. The sheer creepiness struck me, and gently, without making any sudden movements, I reached down, started my truck, and slowly started pulling away. As I was doing so, he was chasing after me, much like you would expect an angry dog and still barking as I kept pulling away. Needless to say, I don't take naps on the job anymore. The Lizard My friend and I were driving late one night on I-37 in southwestern Texas, going towards Corpus Christi, when we both decided we were too tired to go on. I pulled off into a truck parking lot, and we both fell asleep. A little while later, we were startled awake by a loud bang on the side of the cab. We woke up immediately to find this big, lizard-like creature with red glowing eyes and sharp-looking teeth looking back at us. I couldn't tell you how long it stood there looking at us, but then it flew off over the cab and it was gone. I never saw it again. No, I didn't fall asleep watching Jeepers Creepers and have a bad dream, and no, I don't care if you don't believe me, but my friend and I, we both know what we saw. Alright, so we're going to do the commercial thing. Get your skip 15 seconds ahead buttons ready, and we will see you on the other side. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The Voice. The year was 1995. I was closing up at my place of business as I always did, but later than usual, maybe midnight, on a cold, rainy night. I called my boyfriend, now my husband of almost 20 years, and asked if he would come to see me lock up escort me home. Of course, he came right out. My eyes have never been great in the rain, so I was glad to have him following me. As I merged onto the highway, I quickly saw that I was going to have trouble, since there was two semi-trucks coming up fast, one in each lane, travelling almost side by side. I decided to go for it, and almost immediately ended up in the middle lane between the two trucks, and they decided to mess with me. In the rain. I tried to slow down to lose them. I tried to speed up to lose them. All the time, my boyfriend was stuck back in his vehicle behind us and could only watch. Back then, I was bad for not wearing seatbelts, so if something had gone wrong, I was just going to die. No ifs and no buts. My car's radio had been playing this entire time, and it was during an advertisement that it happened. While I drove between these trucks with the radio blaring in the rain, with my boyfriend worrying behind me, I heard a voice. Not an ordinary voice. Not a voice I had ever known. The deepest voice I've ever heard a man speak said, Put your seatbelt on. That's it. I did not hesitate. I reached for my seatbelt and clicked it. That was that. I know it did not come over the radio, because it surrounded me. And it was so loud and so direct. You couldn't refuse it. I got home safely that night. Days later, I mentioned the voice to an elderly lady at work, and she had heard it before. She told me that as a small child she lived in the city and had a crib next to the upper floor window. She distinctly remembers hearing a voice as deep as I said, saying simply, No! Get back in! She also said she did not hesitate and laid to sleep right away by that open window. I also mentioned it to my hairdresser. She reluctantly told me a story about the time her and her son were sitting in the driving through line at Taco Bell, when a deep voice that seemed to come from everywhere said, Lock your doors! She didn't hesitate. A moment later, a man came to her window and knocked on it. In her rearview mirror, she saw another man behind the car. When she cracked the window, the first man asked for a cigarette. Then he tried to open the door. She panicked handed a cigarette out of the cracked window, and then the first man motioned to the second, and they were gone. Sorry. Man, when anybody talks about that, I always laugh, because there's a famous clip of Tiger Woods warming up at a golf tournament somewhere, and somebody got a drone with a speaker on, <laughs> and he was hitting some practice shots. And then all of a sudden, it just goes, Maximize your glutes! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hilarious. I'll see if I can find it maximize your glutes. Well, I mean, you know, valuable knowledge. I don't know how much butts have to do with golf swing, but that's, I'm not a professional golfer. No, I can't find it now, sadly. 
on a slightly more paranormal note, I, I don't have a story of anyone maxing their glutes, but uh, of course, I, I've been participating in this sociology of the paranormal class for uh, um, Joseph. He's a professor at uh, Georgia Southwestern University. And the book we're reading is called Paranormal America, and, or we're reading, we just finished. But there's a case in there of a woman named Laura, and Laura is very much a believer in the paranormal generally. But I'm going to read this little section here. Mm. Uh, Laura has not spotted Bigfoot herself, but she's had many other paranormal experiences. It seems that as a young girl, Laura was duck hunting with her father near a swamp in Southern California. She was crouched next to her father behind some tall grass waiting for ducks to fly overhead when she heard a male voice in her head yelling at her, Laura, move your head now, it said. She ducked down and at, the vet, and at that very moment heard a gunshot. It seems that duck hunters on the other side of the swamp had fired at a duck crossing in front of Laura's position. If Laura had not ducked, she claims, she would have been shot directly in the face and she believes that the voice she heard was that of a guardian, was that of a guardian angel sent to protect her. Her father was not so warned, however, and was hit in the face. He lived the remainder of his life with bullet fragments embedded in his forehead. And, I mean, setting apart the absolute shit deal of, you know, someone next to you having a uh, guardian angel and, and you not, it's kind of interesting that people do hear these voices. Yeah. You know, I, I remember- included. Of course, yeah. We, which we talked about in the Jim Harold show. Or was, have there been more occasions? Uh, no, that's, that's the only clear memory I have of an incident like that. Right. And for folks, if you're, if this is your first show, check out episode 139, Shadows Beyond the Campfire with Jim Harold. That's where Paul told that particular story. It's a really great story. Um, I don't necessarily have any story like that, but I remember reading, and I've, I've talked about this on the show before, there's a book called Command and Control, which sort of, it's, it's by Eric Schloster. It's about the history of um, nuclear near misses uh, in, mm. in the West since the, since the advent of nuclear weapons. And the whole thing is set against the backdrop of this one facility in, I think, Iowa in, I want to say the 80s, when a Titan II missile was damaged during routine maintenance and it started spewing fuel everywhere. They didn't know what to do. So in the end, some genius at, you know, uh, up the chain of command thought, well, we'll just turn on the extractor fans. The problem was that the fuel vapor was so dense by that point that just the friction of the fans turning on was enough to ignite it. And now, bear in mind, this is a nuclear missile facility. This thing is built <laughs> solely of like concrete and gumption, mm. and it blew apart like a child's toy, like like a castle made of sugar cubes. It just blew apart. And there's this one story, and this is you know this is an official story. One of the guys who was present at, on the outside because there was no one inside that I'm aware of. Uh, he, of course, he was floored by the shockwave, and he kind of got himself to his feet. And then he heard a voice right in his ear yell, run. And so he ran. And just after he did, this enormous pillar of concrete and rebar crashed down where he had been standing. He would have been flattened instantly. And uh, I, I think he was speared through the ankle with a piece of rebar, but uh, that's a hell of a lot better than being crushed. <sighs> and I mean, it, it, I, I know our li like longtime listeners will have heard me talk about this book before, but... I really do recommend it because one, it's, it's a fascinating narrative. I don't think enough people realize how close we've come to nuclear obliteration on several occasions, all, almost all of them owing to computer error. But what's fascinating is that the, the story, the, the backdrop of the story, you know, this, this accident, uh, a, a near nuclear detonation in Iowa, um, it happened with a rocket 
that had I, I've been cycled from another facility. Now, I guess how this works with the Titan II missiles or how it used to work, I don't know if it still does, is they would cycle them f- through facilities. So one, one rocket would not stay in the same facility for all that long before it went elsewhere. Well, the hmm. rocket that was in the facility, the rocket that was punctured by accident, and what happened was during maintenance, I think it was like a, like a nut or a widget or something, you know, because it's quite, quite large because of the, what they're working on, it slipped out of yeah. the guy's hands and bounced and punctured the fuel, the stage one fuel tank. And of mm. course, the way these rockets are built, it's almost like a pop, like pop cans. If it starts to, to empty, it, it crumples mm. because what's keeping it, like what's keeping it whole is the, 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 the material inside it. And yeah. so up just above that fuel was oxidizer. And of course, these two things mix and that is, that is boom city. So again, this thing was accidentally punctured and they're trying to figure out what do we do? Well, this, this missile had been cycled from another facility where a mysterious fire had killed a number of workers and the government was never able to determine exactly what caused that fire. I think the, the official report was someone, someone must've been welding up on the third floor and that caused a fire, but people who, and bear in mind, this is not a paranormal book. This is a a history book. But people who were working in the facility who survived said no one was welding. There is no known cause for this fire, but it killed a number of people in that facility. And prior to that fire, there had been documented reports of manual equipment moving on its own or operating on its own. And so whatever happened there, the missile survived. It was moved to this other facility. And then this happened. So this is almost like a very large cursed object. Hmm. But it's, uh, anyways, it's, it's a fascinating read. I think I bring it up on every like 12th show or something, but, um, it's a really, really good book. <laughs> I, I really like Schlosser's stuff. I've read fast food nation and I think a couple of his other books, but, um, again, it's shocking how many times we have been at the nuclear brink and not realize it. And I can't exactly remember how we got here from, uh, voices on the road, but, uh, Let's, 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 let's move away from nuclear uh, Armageddon before we end the story. Cause I don't want to leave people on that note. <laughs> I saw an adorable pug today when I went for breakfast. Seeing a dog on a walk always brightens my heart. That's it. Except, except one time. And I probably told this story. I think I've told you guys all my stories. I was walking home from coffee over in Cook Street Village and there was this big, big mastiff big, wonderful dog, wagging his tail, very happy, happy face, tongue hanging out. He saw me and he's like, oh, he went crazy. And he's like, literally jumped up, put his, put his arms on my shoulders, his paws on my shoulders and was looking my face like, oh, that's cute. You know, and his owner, his owner was this lady. She seemed very freaked out. And I said, it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. It's okay. Uh, yeah. So he eventually goes down and I was like, oh, that's a nice little interaction. I start walking home and then I look down and I realize there is a uh, fluid on my shirt, Paul. And I look back and I realize that dog has a big old boner. <laughs> now I know why he was so happy to see me. Hitchhiker. When I was trucking and on a run through East Central Texas, I was on my way back to Louisiana in the middle of the night. I was driving up a hill on a smaller state highway when my truck started acting funny. It was slowing down as I approached the top of the hill and I I couldn't make it go any faster. There were old wood frame houses on the sides of the road, but it looked like everyone was in bed for the night. The wind was blowing leaves across the road in front of me and 
something about that didn't look right to me. I started to be more than a little freaked out, but kept as calm as I could. Just as I reached the top, my truck was nearly stopped and I heard the most disturbing sound. My passenger door latch, which I keep locked, clicked as it would as if someone opened the door. The door swung open for a few seconds, then shut itself. After this, the engine smoothed out and I began to pick up speed. I kept going until I reached the next truck stop and got some coffee to compose myself. Sleeper. This happened on the I-81, off exit 98 near Dublin, Virginia. It was around 3.30 in the morning, and I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore, so I decided to pull in for the night. There's a fast food joint in the area, so I pulled into their empty lot, released my brakes, and stumbled back into the sleeper for the night. As soon as I lay down, I heard a banging on the door and I was pissed. At first I thought it was cops telling me to move along because this was private property. So I get up, open the curtain, but there's no one around. It's dead quiet. Then I hear the knocking on the top sleeper windows, which are pretty damn high, maybe ten feet off the ground. On the left side of the truck is a slow and steady knock, but on the right it's more fast-paced. But I'm so tired I can't do anything about it and fall asleep. That night I had the worst dreams and all night I couldn't shake the feeling that someone was watching me. Death on the Road Nearly six years ago, I moved to Texas from Florida for work, and as I had some time before the new job started, I decided to drive the whole way. I was driving a two-year-old Chevy Tahoe pickup with a horse truck. I have two horses and a trailer caravan combo. It was about 2 a.m., and I decided to find somewhere to pull over for a break. Just outside Paris, Texas, I finally saw a sign advertising a truck stop and 24-hour diner ahead. Once the horses were fed and my dog Jake was walked, I headed into the truck stop for something to eat. The place was a fair size and looked clean, and that's not always guaranteed with truck stops. Inside, there were only a few people around, a young couple with their baby, an old man in a cowboy hat and boots, two older ladies with a boy of about 12 years old, and a couple of other men who look like your stereotypical truck drivers. At this point, I should tell you I have a sensitivity to the paranormal, or whatever you want to call it, and I'm used to seeing them around a lot of the time. Sometimes it's hard to realize they're not actually living people, but you figure it out. And that night at the truck stop, well, there were a few around. Some of them were barely more than a flash in the corner of my eye, others that were shadow-like. And then there's the ones that wanted to be noticed. I think I was lucky to see them that night, because it's hard for them to stay seen for very long. I think it takes a lot of energy. While waiting for my food, I watched the doorway, and it was then I noticed the first ones a man and a woman sitting at the table next to the door. Both dressed very well, but in the style of the mid to late 1970s. They just sat looking at each other the way people very much in love do, like they're the only ones in the world. They stuck around for a while, and then they were replaced in the same spot by a group of four men in motorbike leathers, with helmets on the table talking loudly about music. They left, and the table stayed bare. Other spirits came and went. A cook who wasn't the one in the kitchen, you could see him working, standing at the door to the kitchen, just leaning on the frame and looking around like he was on a break. An old lady knitting in a back booth. Two teenage girls dressed like 1980s hairband fans who drank what looked like milkshakes. 
an old man reading a newspaper and laughing at something he read, while an old woman with him looked bored and drank coffee or tea from a large cup. Apart from the obvious ghosts, I could see a number of orbs of all shapes and sizes and colors, and saw numerous flashes of fast-moving spirits and two very tall shadow spirits. None of them bothered me, though, and a couple even seemed to like that I saw them, while others tried to stay out of my line of sight like they didn't want to be noticed. It was a brilliant thing to see. It had been a long time since I'd seen so many spirits in one place at one time, and, and I felt as though it was fate for me to be there that night. I really love that story. You know, I don't mm. necessarily know that I 100% believe it, but I just think that's a, such a cool prototypical ghost story, you know? Mm. As someone who's done a lot of long-haul driving, there's something magical about a truck stop at night, and you're willing to believe almost anything is possible. Does the UK have that kind of road culture? That place, you know, because I haven't really spent much time over there driving. Well, you can probably drive from one end of England to another in 12 hours. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, I, like top to bottom, I mean, or, or side to side. You can get from the northeast to Cornwall in about 12 hours. Oh, that's crazy to think. Yeah. Well, where we live in Sheffield, you can get to the south coast in four hours and you can get past Newcastle in four hours. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I was just contemplating if you were going to drive from sort of the northeast border of, of England all the way down to Cornwall to say John O'Groats or somewhere like that. Yeah, say, I don't know, Berwick, which is one of the most northern towns in England, though it's classic. Everybody there speaks with a Scottish accent. Um, <laughs> so from there down to John O'Groats, I would imagine you could probably do it in about 12 hours, I think. That's crazy. I, I guess intellectually, like I knew that, but I just never thought about it in terms of that, you know, whereas, mm. I mean, here, if, if you leave Victoria, get on the mainland, I think 12 hours just gets you to the Alberta border. <laughs> I think. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. You've got to remember the UK can fit inside several US states. Of course. I always forget that. Yeah. I always- uh... it's, it's not that big a place here. You know, we complain about driving somewhere for two hours. I mean, the way fuel prices are right now, I get it. But <laughs> The only benefit about fuel prices is it's still vastly cheaper than getting a train anywhere. Really? Oh, yeah. Train prices in the UK are hilarious. It's, it's cheaper to fly to a foreign country than it is to catch the train from cities in the UK. That's madness. So, I mean, because you guys, I mean, you have a great train network, so this is just the Tories trying to fuck everything up? It's been the same for a very long time. It's ridiculous. Oh, it okay. Is ridiculous huh that's a shame because yeah i mean i've always admired the rail infrastructure over there because yeah. we just i we love just train journeys they're, they're fab they're, you know that's one of my favorite things is riding on a train somewhere with a, some music on or a podcast and a book or a magazine or something just chilling out with a bag of snacks <laughs> yeah <laughs> and just watching the world go by and, and passing places that you've never been to and probably never will so it's quite i always find it quite therapeutic especially on a, on a dark December night when you're traveling at night and you can see the Christmas trees lighting up every house. Oh, that sounds nice. quite beautiful, actually, that bit. The seeing things from the train, that reminds me of, um, I used to, a friend of mine used to live in Coquitlam, which is over on the mainland. Hmm. And so to go visit her, I would have to take the, the SkyTrain out there. Hmm. And it would always be in the evening when I'd be coming, usually, usually the evening when I was going out, but sometimes, um, you know, usually evening at least one way, sometimes evening both ways. Mm. And I remember there would, I would always pass this motel mm. and the only real light on this motel was for some reason it had a peaked roof and there were blue Christmas lights. 
Mm, that's all it had on this motel. And I remember thinking, what is that place's goddamn deal? Why would anyone have, have a setup like this with just blue Christmas lights? One day I got to check that place out. I just kind of filed it away. Eventually my friend moved. I stopped making that trip. And then I want to say a few years later, a friend of my, another friend was moving and they asked, they had no one else. So they asked if me mm. and another buddy would help them move. So he's like, all right, fine, sure. So we got the moving truck. I booked a random hotel on Expedia. Just, you know, it was close. It was cheap. Fine. Pull up to the motel at, at uh, that night. It's the motel with the blue lights. <laughs> And, you know, it, it was just, is there was something weirdly comforting about it. In a way, it was a little bit like, I, I, this, again, this sounds super stupid, but when I was playing GTA V, which is, I think has one of the most fully realized game worlds I've ever played around in, mm. you know, prior to say Red Dead Redemption 2, yeah. um, you know, I remember using a, a, using a vending machine in a motel and just marveling at this thing, like this just exists. And then mm. of course, no, there's actually a mission that eventually takes you there and it's significant, you know, it's... <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's not random. And I had my own little GTA five moment. So I'm I'm pretty sure I'm living in a video game is what I'm saying here, Paul. <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break to pay the bills, and then we'll be right back with more stories. Confusion. My adopted mother was a long haul trucker for more than twenty years. One time it was around nine thirty PM at night on a road in Arkansas when a herd of deer ran out into the middle of the road. The traffic went from 70 miles an hour to braking right away. There were two other 18-wheelers out in front of her, and three cars in front of them, so you can imagine the outcome. The 18-wheelers had to stop so quickly that they jackknifed, clearing everything in their path, including the cab of the truck. It was a mess. There was wreckage and pulverized deer all over the road. Luckily, my mum had been following far enough back that she had enough time to stop. As she pulled off the median, she noticed a man standing six feet from her trailer. She couldn't figure how he had gotten so close to her trailer so fast without her seeing him. She said he had one hand across his chest and one hand in his pocket, looking confused. When police arrived, one of them questioned my mother, and as she told this story, she said, Someone needs to check this guy out back by my trailer. He looks really confused and he might wander off into the traffic. The officers couldn't see or find the man, so my mother gave them a detailed description, down to the shoes he was wearing and the amount of facial hair he had. He walked away for a minute, and when he came back he said, The man that you've described is the owner of the wrecked 18-wheeler. He was found dead at the scene. She was in shock as the cop just turned around and walked the other way. After she left, she stopped at a truck stop and on the news was the wreck she just witnessed. There'd been four fatalities that night, and the man she saw next to her truck was confirmed to have died in that accident. Weeping I used to drive between San Francisco and Cheyenne, Wyoming a lot of times. It's about 16 to 20 hours of driving, depending on the weather. My second time driving that route, I was driving at about 2 a.m. when suddenly my truck started to make this odd grinding noise, like I'd run over something and had gotten stuck. I pulled up to a well-lit rest stop and woke my buddy, who had been sleeping the whole time. As we got out of the truck, I explained what I had heard, but was interrupted by what sounded like a kid crying. We were totally alone at that rest stop, but at the same time we had heard stories about child trafficking and kidnapping, so we decided to check it out. 
The noise seemed to be coming from the bathroom, so we grabbed our flashlights and made our way toward them. As we got closer, we realized it was coming from the woman's bathroom. A low, dull sobbing. And we prepared for the worst. We walked in expecting to see someone brutally beaten or worse. But it was completely empty. We could still hear the crying, but there was no one anywhere. We called out, checked each stall, and even looked exactly where the noise was coming from. Nothing. We couldn't figure out if we were being pranked or not. Maybe there was a hidden camera or a speaker. I mean, it seemed like a long shot, but who knows. The noise kept going until my buddy opened a small window. Then it stopped dead. We waited for a few seconds because we weren't sure what that implied. Then the window slammed shut on its own and the crying started again. We were out of that bathroom in seconds, and as we ran toward the truck, you could still hear the crying. The grinding noise was still there, but we ignored it until we got to another rest stop miles down the road. Underneath my truck, we found a piece of red and silver metal, which I took to a mechanic friend of mine a few days later. He said it was part of a kid's bicycle. I don't know if this is somehow related to our experience, but it was one of those moments for me that I will never forget. The Man in the Clouds I come from a family that experiences a lot. It's an interesting life, which, while growing up, I thought was normal, until I realised my friends didn't have the same level of paranormal activity in their homes. I wasn't sure whether or not to envy them. This experience belongs to my uncle. Unfortunately, I don't have much in the way of details, but it's an interesting encounter nonetheless. It's happened twice in his life. Both times he would have died, had it not been for the man in the trench coat. My uncle is based in Durban, South Africa, and when he was a young man, he used to be a trucker. The first encounter happened when he was coming back to Durban from the Eastern Cape. That road is rough, with long drops down, so you have to be very careful and take it easy along the curbs. My uncle was on a narrow stretch of two lane, when something caught his eye in the sky. Up in the clouds was a man dressed in a brown long trench coat, walking from east to west. They stared at each other for a couple of seconds, but the man showed no emotion and continued on his way. Thinking it was his imagination, my uncle continued driving, but he was going at such a high speed he forgot about a sharp bend up ahead and almost drove off the cliff. He ended up running into a tree growing out of the embankment just below the road, and that saved his life, even though he doesn't know how the tree could have possibly stopped him given how small it was. As far as my uncle was concerned, he should have been dead. He didn't think about the man in the clouds again until 2001. It was in the afternoon, and he was driving from his office home when he again noticed a man wearing a trench coat walking in the clouds. The man looked down at him, and he realised it was the same one he had seen years ago when he was still a truck driver, and the man was still again walking from east to west. This time the man disappeared, and my uncle carried on driving. What happened next is still a mystery to him. The axle from his hind wheels suddenly broke and the vehicle spun out of control, colliding with another car. My uncle was almost killed on impact. The insurance people later could not determine how the axle had snapped and concluded it must have been a factory fault. My uncle drifted in and out of consciousness for a long time, mumbling about this man walking in the sky. We all thought he was delusional, but then, once he'd recovered, he told us the full story and he thought that the man must be his guardian angel, 
because in both accidents, he feared he should have died. I, I got to say, I, that doesn't sound like a guardian angel to me. That sounds like someone who gets closer <laughs> and closer every time. <laughs> it's, it's strange how when people have strange sightings like that and then something bad happens to them, they think, oh, well, that person's, that thing's stopped me from dying. Do you not think that that thing's caused you to have the accident? That would be my first thought. Maybe I'm just a suspicious person, Paul. But if Sky Daddy walks across my field of vision and each time he does, I nearly die, I'm going to pin it on him. Because hmm. like in that first instance, it was the fact that he'd seen this strange figure walking in the clouds that made him forget where he was and nearly die. Yeah. Whereas my the feeling is if he hadn't seen him, it'd have been fine. That's it. And meanwhile, this guy's like, <laughs> he's a good lad. He's Sky Man. <laughs> He's a great guy. <laughs> the Skyman's a great guy. He comes across the clouds, protects us. <laughs> Jesus no, Christ. No, he doesn't. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Skyman is not your friend. If Skyman is present at the scene of every major misfortune, Skyman is not your friend. I know that recent elections have illustrated people struggle to understand this concept. That, you know, if certain people are present at the site of every misfortune, it may in fact be their fault. But mm. I don't know. I feel like if we, you know, sometimes people get swayed by messages because, you know, they're dressed up in a lot of shiny bullshit. But I feel like if you're in your car and someone runs you off the road twice, you're not going to think, boy, he's my guy. But again, you know, in the modern era, who knows? <laughs> I didn't think that face-eating tiger would eat my face, says the guy who voted for the face-eating tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? No, we, could, we couldn't have known, Paul. It was, it was fundamentally unknowable. It's, I remember watching a documentary about people who had strange pets, and they interviewed a chap who got a pet alligator that was about 12 foot long that he used to bathe with, and I thought, this relationship isn't going to last much longer. <laughs> it will last about as long as he will, which is to say, not long. <sighs> people are strange. Did it, did it end the way that uh, I imagine it did? I didn't take it de enough details. I thought, I'm not going to waste my life trying to find out when this man gets eaten by his pet, but it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me that uh, Luke just posted something in the private group we have, and it was, it was about hippos and how, you know, like sharks get a really bad rap. But, you know, really, it, it, in order for it to be killed by a shark, you really got to try. You got to be putting in the work. And whereas yeah. hippos, you know, everyone thinks, oh, they're adorable. You know, they're hungry and hungry, and, and they've got a whole game about that. And those you motherfuckers. Talk to me about hippos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Hippos. They're like the, I don't know. What, what's what's the uh, the K Richard Kuklinski, that big Polish hitman? They're like the Richard <laughs> Kuklinski of the natural world. <laughs> Allegedly, the I know. Obviously, it's one of those arguments when they talk about what's the most dangerous animal in the world, and, and then somebody goes, "Oh, but people don't mention mosquitoes. Mosquitoes kill thousands of people." Yeah, all right. So really, you need to say, well, what's the most dangerous? mammal or land animal um and everybody's oh well it's you know it's, it's lions it's tigers it's cheetahs but it's probably if we're talking about mammals in general hippos are far and away they are i remember watching a documentary and it's one of those like when animals attack and often they're not that bad right and it was um it was a guy who'd gone on his honeymoon with his bride and I've forgotten where they were. They were in Africa somewhere, obviously. And they were just paddling along beautifully. 
and they were attacked by a hippo and it killed his wife. Oh my god! And it was it, and it was extremely graphic as well. It was horrific. Oh um, really? So you saw? Oh no, he didn't see it. He, he was just describing what oh, happened. Oh, I see. It was right. Awful, awful, awful. Well, there's there's tons of footage. If you if you just Google hippo chasers boat, you will see just what you're up against. All right. Well, now I have to do this because I'm you know I'm here in front of a computer in this year of our Lord 2022. I have the technology. <laughs> hippo chases. Wow. There's already it's already filled in. Hippo chases boat. I am not the first man to go looking for this information. <laughs> Scary original video. Yeah, well, let's have a look here. Oh, there he is. He's adorable. He's adorable. Oh, okay. There's a lot of them. They're getting closer. That's not go. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. No. Oh, wow. He's he's coming fast. Paul, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> Holy shit. They really go. I did not realize this. Ah, this is very listeners. I'll put this in the show notes. It's very upsetting. This has got nothing to do with the paranormal, but goddamn it, it's. This is very natural, and it shows you how the natural world is a nightmare. This is why I don't go outside. Okay, he's lost interest. Well, that's good. That's good, because, oh, there's another one. Holy Christ, they're huge! Move, move, move! Anyways, okay. This is, oh, Jesus, that is close. That is close. All right. Folks, I understand this is not a, this is not a visual medium, so you can't see what I'm seeing. I apologize. But uh, I really got into that. Holy shit. <laughs> Woof. All right. Killer hippos. Things you did not expect on an episode about the highway. Jesus. <laughs> Never stop at midnight. This will be our last story. Before we begin, a little information about me. I'm 24 years of age and a medical student who does not believe in the paranormal or superstition. I come from an Orthodox Christian family and am a firm believer in my religion. I believe that if there exists a power of good, there surely exists the power of evil. I believe we may have met just such a power one night. Allow me to explain. At the time of this story, I was in my early teens. Originally, I'm from the city of Padukatai, in the state of Tamil Nadu, India. Padukatai is approximately 90 kilometers from the city of Thiruchirappalli, or Trichy, and I currently live in the city of Bangalore. After we moved to Bangalore, we would visit my native Padukatai every summer and winter vacation for the purpose of spending time with my maternal grandparents. In order to travel to my hometown, we usually went by train from Bangalore to Trichy overnight and then left for Padukatai by either bus or taxi. At the time of the incident, I had already reached my destination and was expecting the arrival of my younger sister, so my grandparents hailed us a taxi. The driver was well known to my family. He is an elderly gentleman, maybe in his mid to late 60s, and is a calm, friendly man who's been driving taxis for approximately 30 to 35 years. When he arrived to take us to pick up my sister, it was early. If I had to guess, I'd say sometime around 2 a.m., but that's only a guess. Either way, it was pitch black outside. A thing I have to mention here is that the Trishi to Padukatai travel takes place via a national highway, and about halfway between the two, there are a few villages apart from which it is just a barren wasteland covered by bushes and trees. The journey to Trishy was uneventful, and I even dozed off for a bit after that midway point. Eventually, we reached the city, picked up my sister, and were on our way back home, my sister and grandparents sound asleep in the back. Since I was accompanying the driver in the front, and because of the refreshing nap earlier, I was wide awake and making small talk with the driver as we enjoyed the cool night air. If you are familiar with these parts, you will know that the highway is not especially well lit. We just had moonlight and the car's headlights lighting up the road in front of us, 
and a little bit of the trees on either side. There is a certain stretch of this highway that always gives me the creeps, because the trees almost completely envelop the road from above, making it pitch black. Around 4am we were travelling on our merry way at a speed of about 60 kilometers per hour. There were no people around, and only the occasional car or truck passing by. Since I was chatting with the driver, I didn't pay much attention to the road ahead of us, so when his face suddenly took on a curious look, I followed his gaze. Maybe a hundred feet ahead of us, I could see the faint outline of a person standing by the side of the road. As we approached closer, I could make out that it was a woman dressed in a plain white sari. Her back was to us, but I could see her long flowing hair and her arms, which were outstretched as if signaling for a ride. I felt sad for this woman and suggested to the driver that maybe we could offer her a lift, but in reply he only mumbled something vague about there being no room. When we were maybe 20 to 30 feet away from her, she calmly walked out into the middle of the road and stood there as if to block our path. Her back was still to us. At this point, I panicked. We were about to hit her with a car, and I repeatedly told the driver to slow down. I, I even started tugging on his sleeve. By now, the driver's face was pale and fearful, and he had begun chanting something. Then he accelerated hard. I was literally yelling at him to stop and using the dashboard to brace for what was seemingly our inevitable impact with this woman. But at the moment we should have hit her, something happened which I still struggle to explain. We drove right through her without so much as a bump. As the driver continued to accelerate away, I instinctively turned back to see what had happened to the woman. To my shock, she still stood there, banging in the middle of the road. Stranger still, her back was still to us and she still had her arms outstretched. I was confused. Speechless, really. And it was several minutes before I could formulate words again. When I could, I yelled at the driver, telling him we could have killed that poor woman. All this time, he never once turned to look at me or even acknowledged my words. Instead, he just kept speeding on through the night. After a while, I calmed down and gave up trying to get anything more out of him. About an hour later, with the sun creeping above the horizon, the driver pulled over at a small shop for some tea and a smoke. I also got out to stretch my legs. During this little break, the driver came over to me and put his arm on my shoulder. He then asked me not to tell anyone else about what happened, and I agreed on the condition he explained himself. He asked me, Son, are you sure you want to hear this? It is not going to improve your life in any way. Instead, it's going to leave you with questions I can't answer. Maybe it's better if we don't speak of it. I told him I could handle it, and he looked away for a moment, cigarette pinched in his right hand, before he said, Never, ever stop for anyone on a highway at that time of night. What you saw back there was not human. You saw how she passed through us. In my years of driving, I have seen and heard of such creatures. Many men, especially truck drivers, have stopped for them on the highways of our country and they are later found dead, far away. You are still an innocent boy, and I'm sorry for not listening to you at the time, but this had to be done. I silently nodded, we finished our cup of tea, and continued on our journey. Within another twenty minutes we had reached our home. I remained silent throughout the rest of the journey, partly because I was shaken up by that event, and partly because it dawned on me that the driver was right, and I had witnessed something of a truly paranormal nature. My family, our fellow travelers, finally woke up when we reached home and they never knew anything about what happened. Until now, I've only shared the events of that night with a few friends who thought it was a vain attempt to scare them, 
Only the driver and I know the truth. In my later years, I learned that the people of Tamil Nadu have a name for the entity I witnessed. They call it Mohini Pizasu. Pizasu means devil. These entities are infamous for luring young men to their deaths. And I mean, I'm very much a do not stop for hitchhikers in the middle of the night kind of guy anyways, Paul, but this seems like, this seems like really great confirmation that I'm on the right path here. Very much so. I have to say I have a weak spot for ghostly hitchhiker stories. Oh, sure. Me too. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. We've got some belters here in the UK. Oh, I, I can only imagine. Now you got to tell me one. Just, just tell me <laughs> just one. Okay. My very favorite hitchhiker story is covered in an episode of Arthur C. Clarke's World of Strange Powers, which I think is the second series he did in the mid-80s. And it featured a carpet fitter from Bedfordshire called Roy Futton, Tutton, Fulton, Roy Fulton, that's it. And one particular night, he was driving to his home from somewhere he'd been working, I think, and it was a late night, and he was driving along, and as he was driving along a road, he saw a, a, a young man with his thumb out at the side of the road, and he stopped to pick the guy up. The door opened, this guy got in, and he said to him, oh, where are you going, mate? And he just went and pointed through the dashboard forwards. So he thought, oh, well, fair enough, he's probably knackered. So they were driving for about five minutes, and... Fulton bent down to pick his packet of cigarettes up to offer his passenger one, reached for the cigarettes, picked them up, and as he turned, the guy had gone, vanished. Oh. Fulton was that scared, he drove to the local pub, you can tell when this story happened, and he asked for a large scotch to calm his nerves. And he was so scared about what happened, they called the police, and he talks about it quite candidly on this interview with him. And he describes this hitchhiker black hair, young lad, had a bag with him. He knows for a fact that this guy got into his car and after five minutes or so, he just completely vanished into thin air. Jesus. So I will send you the link to put that in the show notes because it's a fabulous story. The other aspect of it is, is that when he got home, he was so frightened, they slept with all the lights on and his wife validates this bit. And she finds it quite funny. She says, the one thing I never understood was he was convinced that whatever this was was going to come to the house. Interesting. And did he have any reason no, to, just, to think that? I think that? it was just he was so frightened about right. what had happened and the circumstances of, of what had occurred that it just shook him, completely shook him. But he was cast iron in his belief. So whenever you hear people talk about the phantom hitchhiker being an urban myth, he's a prime example of he's either a fabulous actor or he had a very strange experience. And if you see him talk about it, it's, it's quite clear. You know, at the end of the day, this was a lad in the 80s who was a carpet fitter from Bedfordshire. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. you know, it's not somebody trying to get famous. Um, and there's a couple of others, because this, this is the thing about phantom hitchhiker stories. They always get written off as urban myths and whatever. There's another guy who, very similar to the story we've just told there, who I think was called... Ian Sharp, and he had an encounter with probably the most famous hitchhiking ghost in the UK, which is uh, the ghost of Bluebell Hill. Um, and he ran a woman over in his car. Oh, my and God. He reported that to the police, and the police came. He's also been interviewed on television. So 
anytime you ever hear, because they always say, oh, well, they're just a miss the friend of a friend stories. There's interviews online of both of these people talking about their experiences and they can describe exactly what happened and who they saw. One's a man, one's a woman. Well, I mean, there is that story. We talked about this quite a bit on the show, that story out of uh, Ishinomaki Prefecture in Japan after the Fukushima mm. earthquake. Yes. You know, after the tidal wave or the tsunami rather. And, you know, the people who would get into cabs and disappear. And, yeah. you know, I mean, that, that made it as far as unsolved mysteries. And there seemed to be a number of firsthand encounters. Mm. It's one of those things that people go, oh, it's just poo-poo. If you look into it, you'll find people who are very happy to talk about what happened. So, you know, there are obviously some stories like Bloody Mary and, and whatever that seem to be more myth than reality. But they're right. just two off the top of my head from the UK. And I'm sure, you know, there's another famous road in South Africa that we, we were talking about earlier on of a, of, a, of a ghost that likes to hitch rides in cars and motorbikes. And there's interviews with people that have had that experience, including police officers that witnessed car doors opening at 50 mile an hour. Once again, there's, there's interviews with those officers because they were going to arrest the first guy that turned up because they thought it was taking, taking the Michael. Of course. And yeah, yeah well, you would, right? Yeah. Are they all lying? Well, th that's it. You know, that's, it, it past a certain point, you just have to accept, even, even if you're not a believer in, you know, you don't necessarily believe in ghosts because ghosts mm -hmm. mean that you continue living after you die. You just have to accept that something is happening. Yeah. You know, what, what it is, we don't know, but something is happening. And that is, that is an, I think at this point, an unavoidable truth. Mm. You know, again, it doesn't have to be ghosts. It doesn't have to be X, Y, or Z. You just have to say the world is more complicated than I thought. So I'm going to leave some wiggle room in there. That's it. That's all you got to mm -hmm. do. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And always appreciate that energy cannot be destroyed. It simply converts into another form. And uh, just before we, we wrap up, I wanted to point out a cultural difference in that story because in that story, those people had hired a taxi driver and he stopped at one point to take a break and have a cigarette and a cup of tea, which is a totally rational thing you would do because that's a long drive. I have talked to Uber drivers in LA who have been hired by people to drive them from LA to Vegas, which is about a five hour drive across the desert. And I think if you were a cab driver in America or an Uber driver, and even on a drive of that length, you tried to stop for even a microsecond, you would be whipped like a rented mule. I just don't, I just feel like the, the North American culture, we do not have that kind of rest, rest idea built in. It's like, no, 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 you're not a person anymore. We hired you. You are now a thing. You are a machine and the machine <laughs> takes us where we're willing to go. The machine does not need tea breaks. <laughs> yeah. If that happened here, we just think we'd got picked up by a serial killer well that's fair i mean that's that just happens mm. we've all been there at some point what's he getting out for he's gonna get his axe <laughs> on that hopeful note we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna close it out we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, 
Because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to the Ghost Story Guys family, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, Sarah Kent, and Joseph Camo for everything they do. Don't forget to check out Luke's show, Luke Lore, now part of the Connected Podcasts Network. You can find that at LukeLore.com and everywhere fine podcasts live. Episode 52 will be out when you hear this. Might actually be out until episode 53 might be out by the time you hear this. We shall see. But again, you can find that everywhere fine podcasts live. And don't forget to check out Weird Together. That is a brand new uh, or newish bi-weekly live show that I co-host with Joseph Camo. It's always an hour long and no longer. And we talk about uh, the latest and greatest in horror films and sometimes paranormal films. And uh, subscribe to the Weird Together YouTube channel. We just decided to spin that out into its own separate YouTube channel. So yeah, come give us a subscribe, give us a like and watch our videos because otherwise I'm doing this shit for nothing. And what is the point? <laughs> that's the spirit that won the west <laughs> and of course the biggest thanks to you my friend and co-host the mighty Paul Bestel that paranormal Johnny Carson host of Mysteries and Monsters Paul what's coming up on Eminem bear in mind this is coming out in a while this will be out <laughs> this will be out uh, not on the 12th. This will be out on July 26th. Uh, yes. So uh, this week I have filmmaker Rowena Amos, who has submitted her short film, Strange Waters, to the 14 Film Festival. So we're talking about the spooky goings on that happened during the filming, because she filmed in one of the old forts that is off the coast of Portsmouth, between Portsmouth and the Isle of Wight. Oh, cool. And then we have a wander around some of the most haunted spots on the island as well. So we chased down some ghosts. And obviously, coming up after that, I've got author Max Hawthorne as we talk about terrifying creatures of the deep. I do love a good sea monster, Paul. Oh, I've got a show load. Fan.
Fantastic. And where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters on all podcasting platforms. And we're across all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and our channel is on YouTube as well. Fabulous. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. You can find my interview show, Largely the Truth with Brendan Store, everywhere fine podcasts live. It is on hiatus until the fall, but there are about 20 episodes there for you to for you to enjoy at your leisure. And of course, you can find me on Weird Together. And that's again, that's on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you want to find the show, we are on all major, most of the major social media platforms. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Ghost Story Guys. We are on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. And we are on Reddit as r slash ghost story guys podcast. And if you do want to get in touch, social media works. Uh, but if you have a story you want to share or anything longer form, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a way to send it. Uh, I read everything everyone sends. I don't respond to everyone. That's just because I am bad at correspondence. But I do read everything you send, and we always appreciate it. I always send it along to Paul. And I, I do try and respond. Again, I just, it's not my strength. But um, uh, we appreciate everyone who gets in touch. And we are, as, as I mentioned, this is an episode we're recording this uh, well in advance, almost a month ahead, actually, of when it'll finally be released. But once I'm back from vacation, I'm planning another episode full of listener stories, um, possibly another LA episode, and some other things that are looking pretty cool. So if you will have anything that might fall into those categories, well, we would love to hear them, or any other category. We just like hearing from you folks. Yes, and if I survive my trip to Wales hunting some ghosts... We'll dive into those when we get back. Hell yes. Oh, I can't wait for that. Paul actually looking for, he will find ghosts, listeners. He will find <laughs> ghosts. <laughs> so visit childhood holiday destinations that I didn't appreciate when I was younger. <laughs> there, we go. there we go. I'm excited. Might be a ghost of Wales, might be a whole show. Anyways, finally, if you want to get in touch, but you don't want to type, you can always call the ghost line. There's something strange. Thanks again to Amber Pease for our ghost line jingle. Again, the number is one 588 6920 That's 1-888-588-6920. Leave your comment, question, or story as one or a series of voicemails, and we will share those on a future show. We actually just had someone leave, uh, I want to say, about 25 minutes worth of material on there, so I haven't even listened to it yet. But yeah, they left a lot of stuff. I'm really looking forward to that. And you guys have really actually been getting a lot of ghost line stuff, and I love it. So. Keep it coming, one 588 6920 And of course, Patreon. How could I forget Patreon? If you want to join the Patreon team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Again, that's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Get access to all our bonus materials. You get two bonus episodes every week. That's Book of the Dead and Host Adventures. In addition to monthly shows like uh, me and Paul, sometimes episodes of Sunken Library, all kinds of cool stuff. And again, that's just the bonus shows. There's also physical rewards, digital rewards, and you get to be part of the awesome community we have. We have a lot of super cool people, very kind, very insightful, always have something interesting to say, and you get all of that by signing up at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. Uh, well, shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. If you like what you hear, make sure to head to rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com. 
Rainy Days for Ghosts is the project of Southern California-based film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. Jerry also does commissions, so if you want custom music for your podcast or short film or really any other project, email rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Goes, composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes or at nightharvestrecordings.com. Our stories theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. Remember, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks. But until then, into the darkness we go. Yes. So if anybody ever tells you that it's over or it's it's a fad or whatever, usually they're wrong. Unless they're talking about NFTs. <laughs> Could not suck. I was going to say something. Like, uh, we're, we're recording now, so I won't subject Laro to any more. But uh, yeah, I was going to say The mystery things. of the Matterhorn shall be solved by Stephen and Gerard. Uh, Jeffrey, he knows how to plan a fly. That's what he knows how to do. Yes, he does. <laughs> Can you keep your bedroom window shut, please? <laughs> I assume because she was playing the violin really loudly. Yeah, yeah, I've got the trumpet. What a wonderful world. Indeed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some ultrasound and stuff, and I've been put on a, on a training regime, so I've now started weight training. Oh, you're going to be fucking unstoppable. I, Jesus, <laughs> that's a terrifying thought. Paul <laughs> Bestel on the creatine. <laughs> <laughs> On the way there, I, I bumped into a, uh, a Bedlington Terrier, because I used to own a Bedlington Terrier, uh, called Billy, and he was very fussy and friendly. And uh, I thought, yeah, this is good. This is good. And then on the way home, I got a text message saying that my phone company were giving me a, a free top-of-the-range upgrade early. Hell yeah. So yeah, it was good. Good news. Well, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we got some of those, too, after <laughs> I feel like it's been a little bit, uh, little bit of through the wars the last little while, mm. so happened. When you get you, me, and Anthony in the same place, just in terms of like the quantum weirdness that happens when I'm around Anthony and the, the gen, like, you know, even I, what happens to me when I'm out in the world and then what happens to you, you put us all together. It's, I, I just, there's going to be unicorns. There's going to be medieval knights coming through portals. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Anything could, well, I'm going out Saturday, so fuck knows what could happen. We'll wake up Sunday morning and we'll, we'll have taken St. Petersburg or something. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Not impossible. I won't rule it out. Through line at take, take Bell. Fucking hell. <laughs> take <-o> Bell. <laughs> the poshest take restaurant in town. Yeah, I want to be Mr. P then. <laughs> You'd be Mr. Fuck Off as you can be. <laughs> God. Let me speak to my agent. <laughs> That's right. How much is my client getting for this? Absolutely nothing. Well, double that. Double that. I'm muted. But you not are anymore. <laughs> like it looks like you're doing a great job, but I can't. You don't get it through the power of my mind. Oh, I can. I just don't know if the microphone can. Uh, oh, 
God, so powerful. I'm sending back that Yuri Geller training tape. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. <laughs> That's what she said. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.